Welcome to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I don't know about you, but I need a haircut. I have contacted Tobias at Toronto Hair in Berlin, and we are working something out for March 16th, so it's another two weeks. I am glad this is a podcast. So I hope you are also working out your haircut situation. Welcome to the podcast. I want to get to this. A U.S. 10-year treasury situation because, just quickly, because it really made a lot of waves last week because we have seen in the U.S. 10-year treasury market a move from, let's say, January 24th at 1.1% and now March 1st, it's at 1.43%. So we've seen half a percent move. And since last July, it's from half a percent to one and a half percent. Now, people are really, I saw a lot of, I wouldn't call them alarmist, but I saw a lot of commentary along the lines, and people didn't directly say this, but the insinuation was, was that the Fed had lost control. Okay, and that's a pretty provocative headline. The Fed's losing control, inflation, runaway inflation. We've had half a percent in the last six weeks on the 10-year bond. We're not going to be able to pay our debts. So I went to CNBC and I went to the 10-year bond, and I encourage you to do this as we speak, 1.45%. And if you look at it, this kind of move of, say, half a percent, not even half a percent, in the last month, it's not that uncommon. It's not that uncommon. And People are sounding the alarm on 1.5% or 1.45%. Before the crisis, before last March, we were at 1.84%. So we haven't even really, really come close. Like we're three quarters the way up to what we were before COVID. So is that runaway inflation? And then if we go back even further, I mean, if we go back to only October 2018, we were at over 3% on the 10-year bond. We were at 1.45% right now, and everybody, not everybody, but many commentators are out there saying, particularly in the alternative financial media on YouTube, are saying runaway inflation, buckle up, and I just think that's a little premature, okay? It doesn't mean we don't have runaway inflation, but, you know, one month of half a percent is not unprecedented. For example, if we go to October 2016, we see a jump from 1.7% up to 2.6% in the span of a month from November to December, I don't have exact dates on here, but from in the span of, you know, six weeks, let's say, this thing goes up from 1.84 to 2.4. So that's 0.6%. It looks a lot steeper. I see other curves. Uh, December 2017th, it goes from 2.3 to 2.8, another half percent jump by February. So within eight weeks... So all to say, there has been a move 
in treasuries. But when you look at the chart, and I encourage you to look at this if this interests you, what you're going to see is we're basically maybe two-thirds the way up to where we were before the crisis. So is this inflation or is this reflation? Is this just kind of treasuries? We're no longer in economic crisis. We're not in a horrible economic crisis anymore. Now, we look at commodities, it's a whole other narrative, and we do seem to have inflation there. But I think the jury is still out on that. Yes, I agree with Jeffrey Curry that we are going into probably a mega bull market in commodities. But is it just up and away, runaway prices from here? Not so sure. Not so sure. So just my YouTube analysis for you today. Coming up, uh, we have a really, I guess I'd call it a Canadian show. We have Tim Froud from Sockman Minerals. He's our mining minute. Mining minutes are basically a sponsored segment, but I, I just feel like they're pretty substantial what we're doing here. So I encourage you to listen to it. It's sort of a great window into what's happening and with gold exploration in Newfoundland. So we have that. And we also have Michael F. White from the Global Mining Symposium, which happened last week. And that went very well. It looks like without a hitch, from what I could tell. And Michael White is with IBK Capital. IBK are sort of, you know, pillars, as I like to say, of the Toronto financial scene, particularly the mining scene. I think I've actually been to their office once or twice. So Michael White had some pretty interesting things to say. I mean, kind of confirmation on what we thought we knew, but it's always interesting to hear it from the people on the front lines, like Michael White, uh, who's basically saying juniors are on fire and commodity demand is eye-popping. Pretty interesting stuff. The first half of the interview, again, this is why I call it the Canadian episode, it kind of focuses on the Empire Club, and it's not super mining-related, although miners do contribute. So I was tempted to take it out, but I thought, you know what, you know, Northern Miner is a bit of a Canadiana. I, I would put that in the Canadiana section of the used bookstore. Uh, we're sort of a sort of a vintagely Canadian publication, so I thought we should keep that in there as part of the record, the audio record, the Northern Miner, because it's actually quite interesting, the Empire Club and what it does, and they celebrated the frontline workers. And, and again, I'm not really excited to leave that out. These people deserve a lot of praise, uh, you know, showing up to work under difficult circumstances, usually under economic necessity. Yeah, let that sink in. So we are leaving that in because we cannot forget these people. So uh, lots to get to today. Mixed bag on commodities. So very interesting. Copper shooting through the roof. And with that, if you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. And thank you for all the love. Some of our tweets are doing like 74 retweets. That was crazy. Uh, we're hitting new highs in Twitter. So find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. We will retweet you if you tag us. And also on LinkedIn and YouTube and Facebook. And you can also find us wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. And with that, let's turn to Tim Froud of Sockman Minerals in our next Mining Minute. So joining me today for our Mining Minute is Tim Froud, who is CEO and president of Sockman Minerals, which is based out of Newfoundland. And they run the Moosehead 
Gold Project, and you can learn more about them at SockmanMinerals.com. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Adrian. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on, and it's such an interesting sort of Canadian story that you have to deliver here, mining in Newfoundland. So you don't hear about Newfoundland a ton, but it does come across the newswire. Tell us, how is it uh, to mine in Newfoundland? What's it like? Well, you know what? We have a very long uh, uh, mining history uh, here in this part of the world. Uh, Adrian, it's been you know a, a go-to destination, if you will, for for, for decades for commodities like uh, iron ore and and base metals, or recently, you know, nickel and copper up in Labrador. But what really I think is exciting, you know, the market and, and kind of what, uh, you know, we've been waiting as locals, certainly, for this to happen for many years, because we always felt that, you know, the opportunity was there, is uh, is the uh, emergence of Newfoundland as a go-to destination for, for gold exploration, largely driven through, you know, uh, a, a few key projects, if you will, uh, probably foremost uh, would be the uh, Marathon Gold's Valentine Lake project. You know, we do have, you know, a couple of uh, of, of producers here in the province, but, uh, you know, it's really uh, the past couple of years, uh, Adrian, that's really kind of got things going here in terms of uh, of uh, of investor interest. And, and when I say investors, I mean, I'm talking, you know, people like Eric Sprott and Rob McEwen, who are, you know, firmly entrenched now in this uh, in this uh, new, if you will, uh, emerging, you know, gold district uh, here in central Newfoundland. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very happy to be part of it. That's really exciting. And uh, it's always exciting when there's a new kind of up and coming district in the country. Canada is such a massive country. It's just endless opportunities. So tell me about the Moosehead project then, how long have you been drilling it and what is the situation at Moosehead? Well, we acquired the project in mid-2018 and, you know, we've drilled, you know, pretty consistently, you know, through 30,000 meters or so in, in four or five phases. Uh, uh, but what's really, uh, I think, excited the market about, about the Moosehead project, Adrian, is, is the grades and the, and the similarity to, uh, you know, a very a uh, very famous uh, uh, gold mine in Australia called Fosterville. You know, we're talking grades in terms of hundreds of grams, you know, over multiple meters. And, you know, uh, we've consistently delivered, you know, with every phase of drilling, you know, uh, uh, numbers in the, you know, the four to 500 gram meter type intervals. And just to explain that a little further, you know, a, a metric that a lot of people use when, you know, uh, you know, looking at a projects, you know, and, and, you know, is this something you want to invest in? You know, basically what you do, you multiply the, the grade of the interval over this over the thickness of the interval. And if you get anywhere, you know, in, in the hundreds of grams, uh, uh, gram meters, it's called, uh, you know, well, then you've got something uh, really exciting. And, you know, we've been consistently delivering high grade results. We're about 40 percent through a, a 20,000 meter drill program. We expect to be drilling, you know, well into the summer, probably into early fall. Uh, with the current phase and hopefully extending that, you know, uh, with a bit of luck, if we can, you know, attract, you know, additional capital, you know, through, you know, uh, through the work that we've been doing. And, uh, you know, I like our chances really here, you know, uh, you know, it's an opportunity, I think, to, uh, you know, really, you know, uh, put Newfoundland in the forefront. I, I know that another company exploring in the same district, we are Newfound Gold, you know, they've got a market cap of, you know, uh, four or five hundred million dollars, and like I said, with 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 investors like uh, Eric Sprott and Rob McEwen behind you, we also have Eric Sprott as our largest shareholder. You know, um, you know, the world follows these people, and you know, I, I think that's a that's a positive thing for for what's happening here. Absolutely, getting Eric Sprott 
on your as an investor surely must help your social proof, as they call it. And tell me about the roadmap. Where do you see the company? What, what's your hope for the company? Yeah, what, what are you trying to do right now in terms of, is your main goal to get investors? Is that what you want? Did you have enough money? And, and what's the roadmap here? Well, we're an exploration uh, company, Adrian. So, you know, that's my, that's our job, you know, at, at Sockman basically is to, you know, put as many holes in the ground, you know, uh, get as many uh, ounces, you know, proven up over time. Uh, we're still a little ways away from, from a resource estimate yet, but you know what, uh, you know, um, you know, this, this profit, this project is now, you know, I think met the litmus test of, you know, does it have a chance, you know, to, to be a significant project? I, I think it does. You know, we have, you know, uh, like I said, we're, we're about 8,000 meters into a 20,000 meter program. You know, we're well financed. You know, we have, you know, uh, more than enough cash, you know, to, to handle that, plus have some gas in the tank at the end of the day. So, you know, uh, I guess our mission is basically just put our head down and, you know, get as many holes in the ground, uh, hopefully goal bearing intersections uh, in those holes and, you know, put ourselves, you know, up there as, you know, a, a, a company that not only is attractive to shareholders, but, you know, maybe even, you know, uh, you know, a possible takeover target down the road. Now, you know, clearly that would be a forward looking statement, <laughs> you know, a cautionary disclaimer there. But, you know, uh, you know, these things do happen, you know, from time to time, you know, like a, a little company like ours can certainly, you know, be an attractive little gem to, to a bigger company. And uh, we are explorers. And, you know, I, I'd like to think we're doing a good job with our shareholders money right now. Okay, and finally, uh, what is the ticker on your stock? I assume it's on the venture exchange. Yes, it is. Uh, the symbol is SIC, and um, you know we we currently have a market cap uh, of about uh, thirty million bucks, uh, about one hundred and forty million shares uh, issued and outstanding, and again, you know, well cashed up to you know uh, complete the twenty thousand meters and then some. I think you know for the next four or five, maybe six months. You know, we're going to be a newsmaker, you know, with a drill bit, which is always exciting for holders. And I expect to be, you know, in the spotlight, if you will, uh, certainly in this jurisdiction, you know, for, uh, you know, for, for the foreseeable future. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, Tim, for joining us on the program. And we wish you the best of luck. And if people want to find it, they can find Sockman Minerals. That's S-O-K-O, SockmanMineralsCorp.com. And uh, Tim, I hope to hear from you again soon. Yeah, uh, always. And, uh, you know, you have my number. So <laughs> feel free to call anytime, Adrian. And, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to be, you know, uh, on the pages or the airwaves, uh, I guess, uh, more recently because of COVID, uh, you know, with, with the Northern Miner. You know, it's, it's paper that I've always read and nice to be in there. Well, we appreciate that, Tim. And, uh, yeah, well, be in touch and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very kindly. And turning to the website, Probably the big headline here was from the Global Mining Symposium, and there was a panel talking about the circular economy, which is set to transform the mining industry. And it's by Carl A. Williams, senior reporter and science reporter with the Northern Miner. And what do we mean by circular economy? And let me get right into it here. In the future, mining companies will need to develop new business models that account for the increasing reuse and recycling of metals and minerals as the world moves towards a, quote, circular economy. That was the key takeaway from a panel discussion on the circular economy at this week's Global Mining Symposium. And we have a quote from Elizabeth Friel, founder and CEO of 4P Solutions. Quote, compared to the linear model, which is based on a take-make-waste economy, 
and is the way that we've been living and using resources in recent modern memory, the circular economy offers a sustainable alternative to the status quo and is predicated on providing for human needs within the natural constraints of finite resources. So I think what Elizabeth Frail is bringing up here is actually right on target. This idea of finite resources. We cannot actually endlessly grow. Can we? Can we actually grow forever? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't see how in a world of finite resources. The circular economy, she explained, looks beyond resources as just being consumed and where their value is destroyed after a single use, but embraces the principles of reprocessing, repurposing, and designing out waste and pollution. The goal of the circular economy is to improve the productivity of these finite resources by allowing materials to function at their highest potential for as long as possible, while also regenerating the natural systems we rely upon. Quote, you can think of it as applying the waste hierarchy that you learned about in school, which is to reduce, reuse, and recycle before considering disposal. End quote. Governments worldwide have started to adopt the circular economy model, including the government of Canada, Andrew Cheadle noted. And this is something, the circular economy thing is something Andrew Cheadle has been writing about a couple of times already in the Northern Miner. And he said, quote, when I was working with PDAC a few years ago, the Canadian government's Canadian Minerals and Metals Plan included a substantial component of the circular economy in it. It was then that I realized how significant the circular economy would be to mining companies in the future. And I just want to touch on this article. Again, you can read the whole thing in northernminer.com. We have a lot to get to this episode, but I'm going to touch on a couple other quotes here. And this is another one from Andrew Cheadle. If I look back over the years, we have characterized ourselves as a mining company. Today, we characterize ourselves as a metals and mining company. And tomorrow, we could be categorizing ourselves as a materials solution company. And then Anthony Vaccaro, Northern Miner publisher and moderator of the panel, asked if this was the end to traditional mining companies. So big issues being discussed here at the Global Mining Symposium. And Elizabeth Friel said, even if a 100% circular economy were put in place tomorrow, the extraction of raw materials would not disappear overnight. We see it accelerating at the moment to meet the increasing demand as the human race keeps on growing and continues to consume increasingly larger amounts of resources. Andrew Cheadle noted that, quote, about 30% of ArcelorMittal's steel is made using scrap instead of iron ore, and already half of the copper demand in Europe is being met by recycled material. The chassis of Apple's MacBook Air is now made of 100% recycled aluminum, according to Friel. And finally, Elizabeth Friel continued, the company has committed to manufacturing all their devices from materials that are recycled or supplied from renewable resources. And she's talking about Apple. So... Pretty interesting stuff. And yeah, if you watch any Apple presentation, they make a pretty big deal about their recycling and they're only making more and more of a deal about it as time goes on. So isn't that interesting? And just as a side story here, it's by mining.com staff, U.S. Department of Energy has granted a lithium-ion battery recycling prize to Everledger, HP, Calder Recycle, and Fairphone. And the prize is worth $357,000 in cash to, quote, close the loop on portable lithium-ion batteries. So you see it happening on all fronts here. Uh, on the ESG side, we have this Fortescue Metals story where 
they cleared uh, an Aboriginal sacred site in Fortescue's in Australia. This is by Cecilia Jamasmi, mining.com. Australian iron ore major Fortescue Metals Group has apologized to a local Aboriginal group for clearing land on a heritage site without representatives of the community being present while the work was done. The iron ore miner had Western Australia's government's permission to clear land in the Wilamura Creek area on condition that members of the Wintawari Guruma people were present to perform salvage and cultural rites, Reuters reported. Fortescue CEO Elizabeth Gaines attributed the incident to a, quote, administrative error, which unfortunately these days is not good enough. And this led to land clearing works earlier than scheduled on February 1st. You know, administrative error in these issues, you have to treat it like, you know, the nuclear football. Like there's no administrative errors with the nuclear football, right? There is the president, oh, sorry, there was an administrative error and I sent it out. You really have to t- treat these with uh, with that kind of seriousness. Uh, like Otherwise, you're not taking it serious enough. Uh, continuing from Elizabeth Gaines, quote, we have carried out a full investigation into the matter, which has shown that this unfortunately occurred as a result of an administrative error. We have paused all clearing works at the site as we work with the Wintawari Garuma Aboriginal Corporation on the matter. So Fortescue, playing with fire over in Australia. Uh, Back to ESG, Northern Dynasty to appeal latest negative pebble permit decision. (laughs) So Dynasty, Northern Dynasty continues. And this by Northern Miners staff, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has accepted the request of Northern Dynasty Minerals to appeal the latest refusal to grant a water license to the Pebble Copper Gold Molybdenum Project. The Corps issued a negative record of decision in November 2020, the latest in a long line of permitting delays. Northern Dynasty has taken the position that the, quote, significant degradation, end quote, finding by the Corps its public interest review findings and its perfunctory rejection of Pebble's compensatory mitigation plan are contrary to law, unprecedented in Alaska, and fundamentally unsupported by the administrative record, including the Pebble Project Environmental Impact Statement. Yeah, the, these guys do not want to give up. I mean, don't forget, even Donald Trump Jr. was saying, stay away from the salmon fishery. Stay away from that one-of-a-kind resource that we have there. The company noted the Corps published a final EIS for the proposed mine in July 2020, finding that Pebble would, quote, not have measurable effects on fish populations or fisheries in southwest Alaska. And nevertheless, the Corps denied a key permit under the Clean Water Act. And just a final note on this, Northern Dynasty acquired the property in 2001. So 20 years. I guess after 20 years, you invest yourself like you just, you're, You don't let go at that point, I I guess. Continuing on, China continues dominance of rare earths markets to 2030, according to Roskill. Also by Carl A. Williams, if we look at this, David Merriman, an expert on rare earths at Roskill, said, as we transition to a low-carbon global economy, the demand for permanent magnets will only grow and is expected to reach about 40% of total demand for rare earths by the end of the decade. So we will continue to need rare earths. In 2020, Chinese mines produced 110,000 tons of rare earths, which is more than 55% of total global mining output, according to Merriman. And we have a quote, although there is expected to be a slight drop-off in production to 100,000 tons in 2022, production from China is forecast to remain relatively flat until the end of the decade. 
Now, as far as the refined rare earths, China produced 85% in 2020. But with Chinese domestic output leveling off, imports of rare earths to China are forecast to grow to 80,000 tons per year by 2030, up from an estimated 60,000 tons in 2021. So an increase of about 33% by the end of the decade. And we have another quote from Merriman. China's dominance over global markets and its centralized control over domestic production has provided the Chinese government with considerable control over pricing, leading other countries such as the U.S., Japan, and Russia to start sourcing supplies of rare earths from outside China. So in a sense, newsflash, nothing has changed in China and that they will continue to dominate despite the best efforts of the West, according to Roskill. And finally... This was a story that did phenomenal on Twitter, which says a lot, actually. Copper supply expected to move into deficit in 2021, and this is according to Stonex. And also by Carl A. Williams, copper was already trading near eight-year highs in January, but prices for the red metal surged again in mid-February, with March contracts reaching $4.12 per pound on February 22nd, nearing an all-time high of $4.58 per pound in 2011, as investors bet that supply tightness will increase as the world gradually recovers from the COVID-19 pandemic. And we have a quote from Natalie Scott Grave, a seniors metal analyst at Stonex. Quote, the increased demand this year, however, will not be on an even basis globally, while improvements in supply in China will help to balance the market there. Outside China, a tightness in supply is likely to be felt, especially in light of the forecast increase in demand. So it sounds like it's going to be balanced in China, but tight everywhere else. Interesting. Not sure how that happens. And she continued, globally, this provides a very bullish narrative for copper that will increase demand over the medium term. And then BMO Colin Hamilton said in a research note that, quote, we do see the European EV sector as one of the fastest growing globally over the coming years and thus of needing significant investment in accompanying charging infrastructure. And I'm starting to see more of those on the street. Copper demand to continue. So those are your news stories. Now let's take a look at metal prices. We'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on March 2nd, gold is trading at $1,727.14. That is $79 lower than last week's quote. Silver is also trading lower at $26.25. That is $1.65 lower than last week's quote. Platinum is trading at $1,190.51 per ounce. That is $58 lower than last week's quote. And palladium also trading lower at $2,354.31 per ounce. And that is $29 lower than last week. And turning to our industrial metals, copper is trading up $0.17 at $4.16 per pound. Aluminum has broken a dollar, up three cents, at a dollar. And lead is unchanged for the third week in a row at 96 cents per pound. Nickel is down 40 cents at $8.44 per pound. Tin is also lower at $12.47 per pound, taking a break 
after its meteoric rise. And so that is 84 cents lower than last week's quote, but cobalt is higher at $23.58 per pound. That is $1.35 higher than last week. And zinc is two cents lower at $1.28 per pound. So precious metals taking a breather, gold looking a little worrisome. These commodities tend to move as a group for the most part, so it's a little hard to see copper rocketing higher while gold falls off the map. So nevertheless, precious metals taking a breather and going lower while copper and cobalt move higher, aluminum and lead basically stay steady and the others consolidate a little bit lower. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have Michael F. White in conversation with Northern Miner publisher Anthony Vaccaro. And this took place at the Global Mining Symposium. And Michael F. White is president and chief executive officer of IBK Capital. And Anthony has a detailed introduction. So I will hand it over to him and I will see you on the other side. Joining us, President and CEO of IBK Capital, Mike White. Mike is synonymous with IBK. He's been there since 1991. It's highly regarded in the industry. He's been involved in private placements, financings, totally over, totaling over $600 million. He's also been active in the financial advisory space with assignments with an impressive list of projects, including Great Bear Resources regarding its Red Lake discovery in partnership with Rob McEwen advisory services to the government of Newfoundland and Labrador with respects to the arrangements with Inco and Boise's Bay, Western Goldfields on its purchase of the Mesquite Mine and Norant in the wake of its major nickel discovery at Double Eagle, just to name a few. So a wealth of knowledge to share with us today, Mike. And it's it's always great to see you, you. Mike. Yes, yes. I mean, we'll take it virtually, Mike. I mean, usually within a full calendar year, we would have seen each other at a couple of conferences face to face, but... Uh, we'll take what we can get, right? Yeah, it was, uh, I guess, uh, uh, May, the symposium in London was always a fun one. I remember, uh, I think it was the first one or maybe the second one, you had uh, Friedland on the stage and you uh, did an excellent one-on-one interview with him. That was a lot of fun. Always a great time. Your symposiums are, are very well attended, very well uh, laid out and uh, always very interesting in terms of uh, the content that's on the stage. So. In this case, and thank you for those kind words about the symposium. And we knew we were onto something when people of your ilk were in the audience and flew all the way from Toronto to be in London. So uh, that was a good sign for us, for sure. Let's turn to you and get your insights. I thought I would kind of start off with on a really positive one, because I know IBK is a big supporter of the Empire Club of Canada, which is such a historic and important uh, institution. I mean, major leaders from around the world come when they come to Canada, they speak at Empire Club because of how important it is. And they have the Nation Builder Award. Uh, And this year was a bit interesting because there's a COVID dimension to this. Can you tell us about the Nation Builder Award for this year? And what's IBK, how Empire Club of Canada became important to IBK and what that relationship is? Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, Empire Club has been a platform for people to express their views on Canada and how to make a better Canada, how to build Canada to be uh, the the best that it can be for you know a century plus now 
And uh, as you mentioned, leaders from, from both here in Canada and around the world have, have used that platform to express their views. You know, it, it's, and it's not just political, it's also uh, business. Uh, we've had many leaders of industry that have done the same. And so over the years, it's become uh, just an excellent platform for that purpose. As with everything, it used to be in real time, real, you know, people sitting down to have a real lunch and discuss these topics, but it went virtual as well. And recently, just before COVID hit, actually, they decided that they should put a, I guess, a, a, something new onto the platform. You know, IBK's involvement goes back many, many years uh, with the Empire Club. In particular, one thing that we've uh, always enjoyed doing was the economic outlook, as an example. It's something that uh, IBK Capital, my father, Bill White, uh, um, you know, helped to promote and begin way back in the day. Uh, it's a very well attended event. And uh, my, my father's been on the board of the Empire Club for many years. And so it's been very important to, to IBK Capital, to our family. And so we, we decided uh, to add, the Empire Club decided to add something new. And uh, that was the, the Nation Builder uh, Award, um, Nation Builder of the Year Award. And so it really is just a, an award that's meant to acknowledge a, an individual or group of individuals that are, are doing something uh, to contribute to our country, right? Significantly contribute to the, to the well-being and growth of, of our country and that something that might bring our country together. And so the first award was in 2019 and that was given to the Raptors, the entire organization. Because, you know, as you know, the Raptors is, it's not a Toronto, it, it's, a, it's located in Toronto, but it's a, na it's a nationwide or national team. And, and therefore, it was felt uh, that the success that they had in, in winning the NBA finals and the amount of, of Canadians that it brought together from all walks of life, uh, it was thought that it was a, a great inaugural award to be given a good organization. And it goes much deeper, like the, the Raptors, it's not just a sports team. The amount of effort and time, uh, resources they put into promoting youth, as an example, and, and to try and um, to lift up uh, some some disadvantaged youths, um, it, it it's it's quite amazing. And so when we really peeled back on the onion on on the people that are involved with the Raptors organization, uh, it was it was clearly uh, you know a, a, a wonderful award to give out. Fast forward to 2020, of course, the the folks that have done so much for our country are the frontline workers. And they're the ones that put themselves out there every single day, and they're just there to make our lives safe and 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 able to continue and and able to have some you know semblance of of normal, albeit a new normal. And so we thought uh, the Empire Club thought that it was it would be a wonderful uh, award uh, to be given to the frontline workers in 2020. So that's that's what we did, and and I have to say that it was. It was a fantastic event. The one with the Raptors was a traditional large event. It was held in a, in a, in a hall. There was many, many people in attendance. It was a great event. But this Nation Builder uh, of the Year Award for 2020 for the frontline workers, it was a whole new way of doing it. And the amount of contribution that we got from all walks of life, uh, you know, right from the prime minister, you know, through the provincial governments to the to the local municipal governments across all sectors of, of industry. Um, it was it was really, really nice to see. And I have to say, um, we do some of the promotional calls, so to speak, in terms of the, uh, getting sponsors for the event. And uh, it was an easy one. Um, to have to find sponsors for because everybody wanted to acknowledge frontline workers and so we were so happy that uh, that they were able to receive that award. 
What a fantastic initiative. And, and, I, and I do want to point out, Anthony, I, yep. I don't want to belabor this. Um, yep. um, although I encourage everybody to, to, to check out the Empire Club and learn a little bit more about it. But it was, it was, there was a tremendous amount of support from the mining community, which was wonderful to see. In fact, I expected some, and I'm just pulling it up here because I, I really want to acknowledge some of the names. The, you know, to see, to see this type of, you know, you had, you had the, the names you might expect, like Omers and Onyx and... Uh, we had uh, Bell in there, and but then from from our community, we had Northern Miner, you, yourself, Anthony, in the Northern Miner. That, that was fantastic. But you had junior companies, uh, you know, major companies like Tech and Agnigo Eagle. You had juniors like Arc and uh, uh, other majors like Alamos. Um, Canada Nickel was in there. Uh, families from the who who uh, invest in in the mining community uh, uh, donated as well. Um, the Emanuel family uh, from developments, uh, some more juniors like Spruce. Uh, we had uh, Gold Fund, BMG Group, uh, Junior COBC, Orcrest, I uh, mentioned Canada Nickel, uh, Noble, Homer Gold. I mean, there are more, and I apologize if I've missed you, but um, I, I was so happy to see that type of support from, from the, the Canadian mining community. It was, it was fantastic. It says a lot. When the big issues are there, the, the mining industry seems to always step up with really powerful philanthropy. Mike, I love that you, you, know, you subtly kind of set up that nice connection. The Raptors were the champions of 2019. The frontline workers unquestionably are the champions of 2020. I think all of us either have a frontline worker in our family or maybe have one degree or two degree of separations, but we all know these people that are out there and they put their lives at risk at the most uncertain of times. Yeah, we see them every day. You go yeah. to the grocery store, that, that's a frontline worker, right? You yeah. go to the hospital, that's a frontline worker. Uh, someone who's repairing the roads, that's a frontline worker. It's, yeah, it's, it is, uh, it's, it's amazing that they're doing what they're doing persevere through such uncertainty and high risk. Oh, what a excellent way to honor what they did for all of us. And so that we could kind of continue uh, with our lives with some semblance of uh, normalcy. Um, so excellent, excellent work, Mike. Congratulations on that initiative and uh, big kudos to IBK for being, for spearheading that and really driving it and bringing it to the mining industry's attention. So that is excellent work. Uh, Mike, I do want to pivot a little bit because yeah. you are the, the CEO of IBK. You have your finger on the pulse. IBK has an amazing track record, a long history uh, in the junior space. And the juniors are becoming the talk of the town uh, again, and rightfully so after a gruesome bear market that seemed to drag on for far too long. But there is this complexity. We are in a global pandemic. Um, I don't know. Have you seen, given where metal prices went, have you seen the normal correlation? You've seen a few cycles now. I think mm -hmm. it's clear that we're in a bull a cycle. Is it a muted bull cycle because of the pandemic? Or do you think that's not affecting valuations too much right now? No, I, I don't think it's a muted cycle at all. I, I was uh, quite amazed uh, with last year. Uh, as you've said, Anthony, we, we've been through uh, one of the longest bear markets in mining and metals uh, we've experienced in a long while. Uh, I have been through a number of cycles, as you mentioned, having joined the firm in the early 90s. But uh, this one felt, at least it felt, um, prolonged. Coming out of it, we weren't sure what to expect, uh, and this is pre-COVID, right? We had we had a couple of there were sort of you know, 2016, you know, uh, 2017. There were there were a few years in there that that showed a, a, a sort of a, a glimpse of maybe emerging from a bear market, and I know I certainly said back in 2016, this has to be it, and and lo and behold, we we found another parking garage. We just went further down. Like it was amazing, but that that said. 
I, I personally was just a, you know, you know, a bit hesitant in terms of how quickly uh, mines and metals could come back because the engine that sort of drove us last cycle was the the infrastructure build out in China and and you know other other places in the world like India, um, and that, you know that that's a, that's a huge engine and some are arguing well we don't really have that engine a lot of it's been built and so it's still still growth and consumption but not not the levels that we saw before but that all seems to have passed uh, twenty. 20 was just a fantastic year. There's all sorts of factors that um, and forces that push you in these directions, but the beginning of, of 2020, or sort of, let's call it March, right when the pandemic was hitting, there seemed to be this run to, to uh, precious metals. I think some of that was fear-driven, uh, but there was also, uh, there was a flight to assets, real assets, and, uh, and gold got picked up in that, and same with, uh, with uh, silver. We'd already had a great run in, in palladium as an example. So the precious metals seemed to lead the day. Uh, and then into the summer, we transitioned over to the battery metals. And so nickel, nickel um, and uh, to a certain extent, cobalt, um, definitely uh, copper started to, started to emerge as maybe something we should be looking at. Um, gold was still over, you know, over shining uh, copper, but it was, it, it was something that you, you had to look at, uh, lithium. Um, anything that really went into a battery or the electrification of the world became uh, interesting. Some of them took off more quickly, like I mentioned nickel, but and, and others have have since shown themselves to to absolutely be part of the mix. I was so amazed by how rapid um, things turned and how they continue to be strong in terms of valuations and money coming into this market uh, as we transition into 2021 here. When I started in this business, and I'll just use this kind of as a, as a way to, as a barometer, let's say, when I started in this business, a, a good junior company, and I mean a good junior company, just one that has, has real projects and, and a management team that knows what it's doing, they may not even have a discovery, they might be grassroots, they might be early stage, they might be a little bit on in terms of their exploration, but you could count on a company like that having a market cap of $25 million. That's what it was when I started. And then the beginning, you know, then, you know, sort of the, the we had the 90s, we had the blow up with with Briax and some other companies, uh, we had the dot com boom and, and bust and then emerging, uh, these companies seem to be re rated down to 10 million, right, a, a company like that coming and this is coming out of the out of the, uh, the bear market, it was sort of 10 million. And then fast forward to 20, you know, 16, 2015, you had companies that had market values below $2 million. They were good exploration companies, good projects, good management team, and they were trading for $2 million, $1 million. We did a deal with Monero Alamos, which is you know, now uh, basically a, a, a platform for Cisco in Mexico. Uh, when I first got involved in that company, I think it was 2015, we did, or it, it had a market cap of $650,000. It's it, and a really good management team. Um, and, and, and so it's just, you make, you know, I, I thought back then, my gosh, like how low can we go? And then you reflect on what does that mean going forward, right? What is, and a lot of people are talking about, well, retail is no longer the way it used to be in Canada. And so, you know, retail used to prop up these companies. Brokers can't sell uh, these types of stocks anymore. It's all managed money these days. Everything goes index funds, uh, ETFs and, and, uh, and, the, and the large caps. So, you know, what's gonna happen? There were a lot of questions around what will, because we knew you had to transition from a bear to a bull, but what would it look like? Yep. And what would the new norm, speaking of new norm, you know, in terms of COVID, this was before COVID, what would the new norm in, in metals and mining be, especially for the juniors? And uh, it had a lot of us scratching our heads because 
you know, although valuations were cheap, would we ever see uh, higher end valuations like we did before? Uh, in the backdrop also with that, less discoveries being made each year. Um, we used to be able to count on at least four big discoveries a year, you know, that would really shake up the market and get, get big people going and get, you know, new blood into the sector. And, and uh, it's, you know, it, it's becoming more and more difficult to have these truly, you know, large scale global type discoveries. Um, so we, we really were shaking our heads as to what's going to happen. And then lo and behold, 2020 comes around and, you know, everything seemed to pick up. Like I said, it, it, it was staged but everything picked up. I'm used to a recovery in, in metals and mining starting at the top. You start with the majors and the majors get all the money, right? They, in terms of fi financings out of the gate, the valuations adjust quickly. And then you move down a little bit to sort of the, let's call them the mid-tier producers. Then you get into the advanced development and then development. And then finally down to exploration and then you know through the, the gambit to the, to the grassroots projects. And, and that can, you know, that can happen quickly. It can happen over the course of a year or two years, but in the early 2000s, it was sort of two, three years uh, of, of that before we really, you know, took off on, on, on all fronts. Um, but wow, this, this uh, 2020, I should say, and this year, uh, they're all um, on fire. They really are. The juniors of worth, the, the seniors of worth, the mid-tier companies of worth, they're, they're all um, uh, experiencing this influx of of cash uh, from call it the generalists from the from the broader market into our mining and metal space. Well, and that's what I want to push down. And Mike, we, we're up against the clock a bit here, but that's such a critical point, and you've touched upon it because the theme has been passive investing indexes. That's where let's and you know in the subtext of that was that in, during the bear market, you had like uh, hedge fund managers like Paulson saying it's because. Gold companies, uh, specifically gold in Paulson's case, but in general, juniors have bad management. Why not buy the index? Why not buy it? That seems to have evaporated. What's happened to that thesis? Well, Why the, index, the index doesn't put pro, pro, uh, um, projects into production. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's perfectly it's, said. It's, yeah. it's real now. Like we we are we are having critical shortages. When you look at the electrification of the world. Uh, the, the, the numbers uh, that the, I guess the projected demand on these metals, uh, the, the numbers are, are eye popping. Um, yeah, I just saw a report out by Glencore, it was I think yesterday, um, you know, they're, they're saying that, uh, that the copper uh, market will double from 30 million tons to 60 million tons over the next sort of 25 years or so. Uh, we're going to have nickel um, moving from the 2.5 million tons or so that it is today to almost 10 million tons. Uh, and uh, cobalt, it's around 120, 130,000 tons uh, today. You know, that will crest through 500,000 tons. And these are, this is annual consumption of, the, right. of these metals. And, and, and remember what I just said, we're not discovering Right? We're not discovering these metals the way we used to. Yep. It, it, it used to be that you could go out, uh, out west, uh, you know, let's say for copper down into Chile and, and Peru and, and uh, wow, I mean, you could have a, a world-class, uh, you know, 50 year type project discovered you know, a couple times a year, no problem. Like it was almost expected, like, where's the next one? Well, let's kick over that rock and we're gonna discover it. It's not happening anymore. And, and things are also more complex, right? The world is different. And this is, all, this is all for good, don't get me wrong, but we're more careful when it comes to our social responsibilities, right? We're more careful, as, as you pointed out, governance is very, very important now. Um, you know, certainly Paulson was trying to hammer that home, um, but also the environment. And, and the electrification of the world is supposed to help the environment, right? Reduce our, our carbon footprints across the globe. 
well, where's that metal going to come from? I mean, it's, it, and, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us as miners because it's going to help promote uh, not only uh, exploration, which is so important. And I'm so happy that so many exploration companies have been funded up through 2020. They continue to get funded up on 20, in 2021. And, and it, it, is, it is very much the case, Anthony. These companies are getting the money they need to explore. So that's, that's wonderful. But, but you know, how are we going to operate better, right? How are the minds of the future going to look? It's been fascinating. I remember your, your interview with uh, Friedland. I mean, he's got all sorts of ideas about what, what the future minds will look like and using technology. Um, but it's that technology that's out there in the real world uh, that we want to bring into mining that's also causing the need for more and more metals, right? Yeah. So, I mean, think of the electrification of the world. Our mining goes to batteries. It's not just batteries, right? It's the whole infrastructure that causes, a, let's, let's say, a car to be autonomous, an electric vehicle to be autonomous. And all of that infrastructure, that edge computing, the AI, uh, you know, sensors, um, all that that's needed requires more and more materials, materials that we as miners have to make. So where we had China last, the last bull market with just basic infrastructure, buildings and bridges and power plants and dams. Now it's, now it's the electrification of the world and, and all of this, you know, call it, you know, science fiction uh, that's, that's coming soon uh, uh, that, that's rolling out across, across uh, countries that's going to drive the consumption of, of metals. And it's just fantastic. I, I can't wait, Anthony. I can't wait for the, you know, what, what, what I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice. This is, this is exciting time to be where we are. Absolutely. And it's, uh, it couldn't come soon enough. Uh, Mike, we're up against the clock. Thank you so much for taking the time, sharing your awesome insights. As I said, off the top, you so have, you've had your finger on the pulse of the junior sector for so long now and bringing that amazing financial lens uh, to it. So your bullishness is our bullishness. Thank well, you, Mike. Yeah, we, we couldn't be more bullish. Well, that is pretty bullish. You have a long-term horizon. Commodities do look attractive, don't they? So with that, we're going to have more from the Global Mining Symposium. We may sprinkle it with a few interesting conference calls. Thank you once again for listening to the program. If you want to leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory, please do. And until next week, take care.